How do you feel diving into a cool blue sea or a silver grey lake? For me, there's always a moment of trepidation. But once I emerge into the air, there's always an essence of feeling truly part of nature and acutely alive. This episode of Confect Corner explores how our blue brain is instinctively drawn to water. We'll also submerge in the idea of healing, restoration and travel and find out how a fortnight in one of Germany's most formidable-sounding detox spas left our reporter Miriam Zumbel feeling. We'll journey to meet Brazilian artist Beatriz Milhazes, whose new exhibition muses on the tides and opens this month in the British seaside town of Margate. And in the Balearics, we hit the road with a duo of designers who have partnered with the skilled craftsmen of Mallorca to create collections that instilled with the island philosophy. The garments are related to the artisans, but also to the blue horizons that surround and inspire. Many of us are on the cusp of travels to coast, mountain and forest. And with these road trips in mind, we'll provide you with the perfect soundtrack, courtesy of the Malian songstress Fatimata Diawara, who tells Confect about her irrepressible impulse to compose and the cities that have inspired her new album. I'm your host, Sophie Grove, and this is Confect Corner. We should have a more female emancipated, you know, free to express themselves, because our vision is different. We think differently. And it's beauty when one can really show how she is having her freedom. For us, the important aspect is the community and support of the community. So it's also important for us to have like values behind what we are doing. We found that what is giving us happiness and bringing value to our brand is support of local crafts and local people and local community. So many people, they get on this bit like a hamster wheel and they can't get off it. And of course that encourages us to eat unhealthily, it encourages us not to have enough free time, enough exercise. And by coming here, it's almost like stripping everything back. Welcome to this episode of Confect Corner. I'm your host, Sophie Grove in London, and I'm joined once more by Marcella Palak in Zurich and by Gillian Tobias here in the studio with me. Hello to you both. Hello on this gorgeous, gorgeous summer day in London. Hello, London. <laughs> Hello, Zurich. <laughs> I hope you've got some sunshine there too. Yes, a lot. Plenty of sunshine. <laughs> Well, lots of swims, I hope, because you're so near that beautiful body, Marcella. But as usual, we'd like to start each episode with something that's caught our attention in recent weeks. Gillian, you're up first this month. What do you have for us? I just came back from a trip to Tbilisi, Georgia. Fascinating city. I can tell totally encourage people to discover it. It's such a reinvention of an old former Soviet capital. Fascinating. But during my stay, I discovered Stamba, which I have to say is one of the most interesting and seductive hotels I've been to in a long time. Partly because of the reimagining of the old industrial brutalist building that it's housed in. From the outside, it's definitely lead, not even bullet. It's ugly from the outside. But they've honoured the industrial past of a former printing factory. They've gutted the whole building for the atrium and just kept the raw concrete beams and the workings of the printing presses. But they filled it with vine leaves that cover it and wall-to-wall books as a nod to its former printing works. 
Within that, in terms of design, they've done a lot of architectural salvage, which is stunningly beautiful with these incredible chandeliers and banquettes that have had a former life at the Dorchester. There are a lot of found objects. Design-wise, it is theatrical, but it really is a space that creates a theatre and an event where you want to linger, eat, you definitely want to people watch. And then what's interesting, because this building is so, so vast, it's how the Ajara Group, which is the hospitality group have taken on the other spaces. They have an in-house sewing atelier who make all the uniforms for the staff of the hotel. They have an ice cream, their own homemade ice cream making, where they use the almonds from their agricultural project in the east of Georgia. They roast their own coffee. They have an aquaponic farm where they grow all the vegetables on site so that the chef can pick the herbs and all the lovely sort of mini vegetables that they need. And because they really believe in training a young generation, they have, wherever possible, mentoring, and they actually have a cooking school training for young Georgians to be chefs. So on all levels, I found it so inspiring. Sounds like the Shangri-La of hotels. I've spent some time in Georgia, and it is a very unique cuisine, but also this incredible approach to hospitality, kind of Ottoman accents, but then it's very unique, but very elegant kind of lilt. Even the food is sort of wonderfully colourful and green. But what is particularly special when you have these incredible meals in Georgia is the Georgian wine, which I didn't realise, the birthplace of wine centuries ago. But now the young entrepreneurial wineries that are sprouting up are extraordinary and taste absolutely delicious with the Georgian meal. Sophie, what about you? So I've been on the road too, but to my usual haunt (laughs) of the Atlantic coast in France to Cap Ferret. And I just came back with this wonderful image of these white and yellow striped awnings, which seem to be everywhere on this trip. There's these citron maharis with little stripy awnings. The hotel I was staying in, the Hotel du Pain, is this 1920s pavilion, sort of single story, white painted trellis, and then these beautiful awnings. And the sun filters through. And then I was down in the market and there was a whole stall just dedicated to yellow and white striped towels and I just felt (laughs) there's something about that combination that makes my heart leap and makes me feel so French and on holiday and kind of dreamy. Isn't it the wonderful simplicity that you often get at a seaside place? I think it is the combination of those colours and the sunshine which makes it for me but I know that Marcello is a little bit prone to a bit of lemon and yellow stripe as well. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I saw lemons everywhere in Sicily where I was lately. We visited villages and you see all these Baroque churches, Baroque villages. It's incredible. It's so beautiful. But then we had something on the plan which was very, very refreshing as a contrast. We visited the impressive minimalist land art piece completely off the beaten track between Marsala and Palermo. It's called Il Creto di Burri. It's a 300 meter long and wide cement layer and it's a memorial to a village called Gibellina which was destroyed completely by an earthquake in 1968. The land art piece was created in the 80s by an Italian artist, it's Alberto Burri, and it's an absolutely silent and magic place with no tourists at all. So the contrast to all the Baroque towns was beautiful. I always think that land art is 
so amazing in that it makes you reassess nature because you stand there and it, it's an intervention but then at the same time you look around and then you see all the cliffs and all the rolling hills in a different light so it can be really wonderful for your perception when you're traveling yes exactly yes and the landscape there was untouched it was like pure nature and of course you start thinking a little bit because uh, actually it was like this disaster which happened once and now it's pure beauty and silence. And the funny thing was the only people you will see climbing around is of course architects. I met one from Bologna, one from Bern. <laughs> this was really a nice experience. <laughs> It's very, very easy to identify architects in the wild. I don't know what it is about their wonderful gait or their clothes or their little bags, but they do manage to kind of somehow stand out, as you say, Marcella, sort of make their way to these places that other people might not find so beautiful, which is why you get to enjoy those beautiful spots without the crowds. They're all at the Baroque, yeah. <laughs> the Baroque churches. Yeah. Our first stop in today's programme takes us to the shore. Beatriz Milhazes is one of Brazil's leading abstract artists working today. Born and raised in Rio de Janeiro, a new exhibition at Margate's Turner Contemporary brings her colourful works to a very different coastal location. Complex Sophie Monaghan Coombs went along to the English coast to find out more. Beatriz Milhazes feels comfortable by the sea. The artist was born and raised in the Brazilian city of Rio de Janeiro, but Copacabana Beach feels far away from our current location. Far sunnier too. I'm on the south coast of England in the town of Margate. I'm overshadowed by clouds as I exit the train station and follow the curve of the beach to walk the short distance to the Turner Contemporary. Perched right on the seafront, for over a decade the Turner Contemporary has honoured the life and work of J.M.W. Turner, who believed in the power of art as an agent of change. The gallery is built on the site of a boarding house where he stayed during his visits to the town. Clearly, there's nothing new to Margate's ability to inspire art. Today I'm here to meet Beatrice, whose large-scale works are on display as part of a new survey show at the gallery. The show features 20 paintings and five collages, which layer shopping bags, chocolate wrappers and glittery stickers in circles, a shape that's become somewhat of a signature for Beatrice. After a look around, I caught up with Beatrice and began by asking how it feels to put together a survey show. I think like the, a survey show has different kinds of aspects, no? The first thing is like actually is a museum development. So the curator of the show is the one that is in charge to make the selection and also like putting together this kind of reading or how you understand or how they want which aspects they want to show in each room it depends also the installation how they the installation of the whole show so in this case here it was fantastic because actually they were able to to find very earlier works of mine and make a room with this 90s uh, paintings which is a gift because not always you can have this part of the work showing in a survey exhibition uh, becomes more popular and more known and so it's like a wonderful opportunity for you to, to see before and after and the future too how we'll continue to do so it's a survey show 
for an artist, it's a kind of a seeing your life through uh, all your itinerary, all your journey about your historical process. And uh, sometimes it's, it's always a celebration of life, I think, you know. Even sometimes it could be painful, sometimes very pleasant. Beatrice's work is full of vitality. And over the years the survey show encapsulates, it seems she is constantly experimenting. She describes herself as a scientist. Well, because my process is very much based on process and actually is like in the middle of the range of my sources and endowments. It's based on introducing some elements or some new questions for the existing ones and then wait until that creates a kind of a chain reaction. And then that will evolve us. And uh, sometimes in a short time, sometimes in years, to a completely new plasticity. So that means about compositions, about colors, and also about the original drawings or motifs. And the same about like some references. That is like they also evolve with all these, uh, these changes. In my opinion, the best bit about the Turner Contemporary is how the artworks interact with the backdrop of the natural world. Huge windows expose us to vast views of the sea and Beatrice has created some new site-specific work to adorn these windows with large, brightly coloured shapes. I ask her how she feels about the connection between her work and the sea, between Margate and Rio. I was born in Rio de Janeiro no? and grew up there and, and works and lives there so, so far. So it, Rio is a very unique uh, place because you can like combine a very urban life with all the, the contrast that you could see from social to like uh, things that you can find in every big city to the, a real nature too. So it's ocean, it's mountains, it's a real nature, like it's part of your life. So that makes a very unique kind of a city. And then I think the since I arrived in Margate, you know, and then what I think is the strongest link is the nature. It looks like a simple thing to say, but actually it's not because even you have the ocean, there are beaches, same like we have in, in Rio, but a completely different kind of beach, you know. So the, from the tropical to the European beaches and also the, the way that exists, how it reacts, how people also react to be uh, living in that kind of situation, it makes a completely different experience. What is uh, fascinating, how the same kind of, uh, I'll say, elements, like uh, the sky, the wind, the sea, the ocean, the sun, the rain, <laughs> how it could change depends where it is, no? And that is what I call context. That is for me, even I have a lot of references, my cultural background, historical background, the Brazilian one. Also, it's like a context is what really makes the whole difference. So I don't know if uh, even if I have these elements that I could find in Rio too, if I had grew up here, my work would have the same kind of things, you know? As I leave the gallery, it's warm and the clouds have cleared to make way for blue skies. I take my shoes off and carry them as I walk back to the train station along the edge of the sea. Time spent in front of the bright, swirling shape of Beatrice's work has put a spring in my step. She's clearly succeeded in bringing a little piece of Brazil to the UK's south coast. 
and she might just have brought the sunshine too. Confex Sophie Monahan Coons there, and Beatrice Miliazes' new exhibition Marazias is on now until the 10th of September at Turner Contemporary in Margate. Well, most people's idea of a relaxing spa vacation involves fluffy white robes and comfy slippers. The wellness industry is approaching a rather back to the earth direction, going from beauty to holistic health. Comfex contributor Miriam Zumbel made it her goal to give her body a proper rest this year and has been sneaking off to the Marelife Medical Health Resort in the whimsical area of Altersee, south of Salzburg. There she spent a week fasting a la FX Mayer, which promotes eating less and giving your digestive system an easier time. Fasting is a practice that dates back centuries with proven health benefits from your heart health to reduced inflammation, better brain function and more. For this month's Confect Corner, Miriam reports on her restorative week of reflection and restoration. My eyes are dazzled by the sun's rays reflected in the clear blue mountain lake. The only thing you can hear are the birds twittering from the centuries-old trees. I have arrived at Life, the medical health resort where I will fast for a week. I arrive with an inflamed back, an endless lust for cappuccinos and a sachertorte in my suitcase. It was given to me on my way here and I was too polite to decline. But I can't help but worry. Will I be hungry? Will I be able to nibble on the sachertorte when nobody is watching? Just to make it clear, all is well. I'm healthy, life is fun but often hectic, deadlines dictate my everyday work life, my schedule is filled with a few too many dinners that are eaten without even being hungry. The morning meditation is a noble intention that is too often not fulfilled. So the time has come in my life to eat, move, sleep and think better. I will recharge and rejuvenate and most certainly re-evaluate many things. Which is something we all need as Sarah Reich, the head of medical reception, tells me. I just think that in this day and age, with all the social media and everything, we're permanently busy, permanently available. And I think uh, it's important to stress that people need time out. They need to reevaluate where they're putting their time. You know, so many people, they get on this bit like a hamster wheel and they can't get off it. And of course, that encourages us to eat unhealthily. It encourages us not to have enough free time, enough exercise, and by coming here, it's almost like stripping everything back. You know, you're stuck here in this most beautiful surroundings, and suddenly you reevaluate things and you start looking at the mountains and thinking, well, hang on a minute, what am I doing? There is plenty of time for thoughts like that. For hours I bask in the sun, sitting in velvet sofa in the lobby, sipping on one of the many herbal infusions dominating my week here. The liquid helps cleanse my gut, flushing everything out of my body that doesn't help with my health. Nearby, a couple from India is doing a puzzle. On another corner, a famous actor from Germany dons a bathrobe hiding behind sunglasses and lost in thought in a book. Serenity, it seems, takes so little. But why is it often so difficult to include in our everyday life? Here is Sarah Reich again. I think basically we've just forgotten how to look after ourselves. And I think the thing is with COVID, when COVID came about, a lot of people started reflecting more on their health, their general health. And 
they found they couldn't go on these luxury holidays just to lie on a beach and they suddenly realised that maybe the health is the most important thing and we've noticed a sharp increase in people investing in their health. We invest in a service for our car, so why shouldn't we invest in a service for ourselves? A car is the right metaphor, I think, as I walk into the dining room for lunch where alkaline foods, the healthy fuel for my body, is served. Avocado mousse with smoked fish, a small jar of linseed oil, which is high in omega-3, and the obligatory cow trainer, the chewing trainer, which is a small bread I need to chew about 40 times to make it easier for my gut to digest. It's one of the cornerstones of the FX Meyer method I am doing. Dr. Franz Xavier Meyer, after whom the method is named, was an Austrian doctor who devoted his life to the study of the digestive system. When he asked his patients to fast in order to identify how illness is affected by resting the digestive system, he discovered that many of the complaints, from headaches and arthritis to high blood pressure, dramatically improved. Sarah Reich tells me more. I think really the modern approach we look at here is we have a number of other treatments that supplement the cure. The diet itself is a lot more creative. It's using a lot of other ingredients. I believe that the uh, original cure was basically just stale bread and milk. And as you've seen from this diet, it's a lot more inventive and more appetizing than what maybe was in the past. One day, I find myself wrapped in a furry hat, warm shoes and gloves in an icy cube at minus 110 degrees, where the freezing temperatures make me squeak. To hold on for three minutes is the goal, and I just about manage with the help of dancing and repeating my mantra, I am happy, I am healthy, I am warm. Every cell in my body is reawakened, my dopamine and endorphins are up, and the pain in my back is gone. This is cryotherapy, as my doctor Maximilian Schubert, the medical director at My Life, describes to me. And its goal is to reduce inflammation and relieve pain in my body. Inflammation, he tells me, can be reduced both through cold therapies, but also through the gut. Also the main uh, topic about the Meyer treatment is healing the digestive system and getting the benefits out of this healing process. What uh, the main principles are, cleaning your gut, giving you a monotone diet so that your gut system can relax as much as possible and supports the healing process. Why it is a holistic approach is because 70 up to 80% of your immune power lies around your digestive system. If this system is healthy, the immune power can concentrate on the rest of the body and that's why you have this huge holistic approach. From now on, I have decided to do one thing a day to boost my immune system. And the icy mountain lake in front of the health resort make it easy to start right away. Just before breakfast, I dive headfirst into the cold water to activate every cell in my body. And day by day, the pain in my back begins to subside. The nearby forest lures me in after dinner, or shall I say, after my daily jog of broth. It's an 8,000-step walk around the lake, past deep green fields of moss, towny mountain brooks and a deer, which I secretly observe amidst the fir trees. It lightens my step and tires me happy. Lights are out by 9 p.m., and as I lay in bed, I realize that I forgot to look up my phone and haven't even read a single email today. When the sun finally sets, my eyes are already closed too. 
By the third day, I'm already in sync with the natural rhythm of nature. And almost on cue, I'm woken up by the bird concert on my balcony the next morning. Mother Nature provides us with all healing processes, as with all medicine which is necessary to heal our body system. Because even all the pharmaceutical research is done on plants and uh, substances which are out of nature and supports us as much as possible. Uh, there is a German saying that for every problem there is a plant grown anywhere. My week is coming to an end. As I meet my doctor one last time, he offers me the top rituals for everyday living. One, stop eating when satisfied. Two, drink between but not during meals. And three, make dinner the smallest meal to give the gut a proper rest overnight. Before saying goodbye, we discuss the power of fasting. How, just like nature, everybody recharges best while having a proper rest. That's why it makes sense to have at least once a year that option and the chance to activate all the reparation processes of your body. And those are activated by having as less as possible. So the opposite what we have in our normal life. And even if you do a very good culture and lifestyle on eating habits and what you're eating and how you're eating, there are lots of toxins around our in our world which you have to get rid as well. This is also a good chance to get rid of those products when you do a Maya treatment. In my mind, every culture, if you observe all the cultures in the world, yeah, all of them had a period of a fasting uh, season in their lifestyle, out of religion, out of just the culture itself, because it makes sense for the body. As I pack my bags to travel home, I come across the sachertorte in my suitcase. I have to giggle. Having a cake this close to me and not eating, well, that's a first. When you have a chocolate cake, please enjoy it the maximum you can, yeah, because that's what an exceptional and cheat day should be like. Yeah. My recommendation for a diet, for example, could be two days vegetarian, two days vegan, two days with animal products, yeah, and one day do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And then you have your cheat day in both ways, fasting or excess. I leave Altausse feeling lighter. I have come back home to my own body. I feel like I have found my balance, joyful and pleased and made to last. A report there by Miriam Zimbel. Marcella, this strikes me as a sort of thing you'd love to get involved in. Is this your type of holistic wellness? Honestly, I'm not sure about it. Maybe I could become a kind of runaway guest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I might prefer kind of um, active wellness, eat less and do more. I heard there is like uh, hiking and fasting. This would be probably more for me. And what about you, Gillian? What's your idea of a healthy retreat? I suppose it would have to be somewhere very southern on the sea where my diet, I would choose citrus. I find that... 
Sometimes my body does crave for things. And if I'm feeling run down, to me, there's nothing better. I go to the market and I get oranges and lemons. And there's something about fresh pressed juice and hot lemon and ginger. And I just find that really is kind of so energizing and restorative and good for the skin and the hair. So I think a beautiful terrace facing turquoise waters with the sound of cicadas, the smell of cypress trees and bowls of oranges and lemons. That sounds rather like a holiday. Yes. <laughs> rather yes. than any sort of holistic health retreat. But we'll give Am you I allowed wine? That. Am I allowed wine in the evening if I'm good with my citruses? You can go to a wine spa, Gillian. You can go to a wine spa in Bordeaux and um, bathe in the stuff and drink it too. Sophie, what about you? What is your idea of a holistic retreat? Well, I did once run away from a spa in Kerala, an Ayurvedic essentially fast, and to drink a teapot full of white wine. And I regretted it because I really should have stuck with the programme. But I find those really intense programmes too much and too much strain on my body. And I do find them also difficult to maintain. My idea of a really wonderful retreat does involve something really physical, kind of sense of the outdoors, but really something that would get my body into a sense of exercise and routine, which I could somehow sustain, which would be a dream. But I think somewhere wonderful, like the Austrian Alps, where you could bathe in whey and really restore your body whilst also striking out and getting some wonderful views would be my idea of heaven at the moment. And now to the sounds of the summer. In the latest edition of Confect, our contributor Paige Reynolds sat down with the iconic artist Fatumata Diawara to discuss her latest album, London Co. Whether it's collaborations with Damon Albarn or chance encounters with Herbie Hancock, for Diawara, music is not just a job, but a necessity. In the bustling courtyard of Crouch End Studios, Diawara talks about her unique story, how her latest collection of songs came to be, and her relationship with her home country of Mali. I was in the Ivory Coast and then I moved to Bamako. And from there I went to my aunt and she was an actress. Then my first year... I started to go with her on the film project. And one day a director saw me and said, I wanted this girl in my movie. And he said, I like her when she smiles. She always brings light to us, you know, when we were in a hard time. And I just want to thank her. And then I become an actress. From that movie, another project came. I do one and another come. So it was one after the other till today, you know. People see me and want just to work with me. And the same things happen to the music, you know. My collaboration with Damon Albarn, uh, Herbie. Well, Herbie was an accident. I supposed to go to, to help Umu Sangare on a project in Paris. Imagine this song from John Lennon. Then Herbie saw me and he just asked me to, to sing with Umu. And she got a Grammy with that song. So it's like... Um, I just have to do it, just have to sing, yeah, for myself, but also for people. (laughs) 
can do sometimes six songs per day in the afternoon. I like composing, you know, it's a different way for me to really exist, you know. It's not a job for me, it's a necessary. Music is necessary, it's like uh, taking out all my background, my, my women life, my, my past. Singing is always healing my soul, makes me feeling good. People feel it, people can feel it. I think that's why I'm here today. Because when you listen to my first record, Fatou, my voice is not even warm. I was going in the morning to the studio, sometimes I'm tired, and I didn't want to come back to the song. You know, Nick was like, we will do it. I said, no, no, no. And I said, it's okay, I'm fine. I just want to sing, I just want to sing. And it's incredible, the, the album had a lot of success. I think people like to see a woman in um, a very fragile moment, you know, not trying to be perfect. And it's not like a competition. It's about the emotion. How you want to talk to people, how you want to touch them. It's about how to feel their heartbeat, how they can really feel you. Connection, first of all, for me. Everybody has his own approach to the music. And mine is more who are listening to me. Can you hear me? Can you feel it? Just feel me, yeah. My music is very difficult to be described. What I can say, I'm lucky to have traditional music that Malian people have, the blues, the original of the blues sound, through our ancestral instruments, like the kora, ngoni, balafon, bolon, thousand, thousand instruments that speak a language. We just have to follow how those instruments speak. And then from that kind of speaking, we can adapt ourselves to other type of music. For me, for sure, this tradition is from Mali, but I can say it belongs to all of the world because music is a language. It is the first language. It keeps African people surviving, and I think many people, not only the African people, to survive. We need music. It is the opposite of war. I'm trying to keep one hand to to the tradition and the other ends to, to the modern side. And I'm lucky when I've been starting playing music, the world opens to me. I have a lot of support. Damon Albarni is my brother. He always invites me for many projects. Damon's very sensitive person like me and I was lucky just he chose my my spirit just to be close to him yesterday we were together at later with Jules it was so natural simple I love to be with him and I think himself too because I think we got something in common which is being ourselves so I was in Paris working on Le Vol de Bully. It was an opera, and we were there for one or two years together. And at that time, Damon had the idea to make the album. I had always the songs. And I told him that, yeah, the album is almost done, but why not? Let's try to do something while we're together. And in Paris, we've been to the studio. The first song, 
Nsera. And uh, when he found Pam 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 Pam, then we were so happy. How the arrangement and when he's been singing on the song. And it's Demon who first said London Bamako, you know. He was so happy that we could find this bridge. And he was looking for this for a long time. He said, you are the bridge between Bamako and the rest of the world. This is London and Bamako. And I said, okay, London Co. Then we've been starting to sing at the end of the song, London Co. London Co. That's it. It was Damon, <laughs> Damon's idea. People look at me and say, thank you. At the airport, when I go to the airport, people see me like I'm not a Malian. Because my mentality is quite, you know, different. And I receive a lot of messages. Many girls and boys tell me, you're living our life, our dream, you know. You know, it's also how playing the guitar, how I dress. It's a different way of a woman speaking. That's why we should have a more female emancipated, you know, free to express themselves. Because our vision is different. We think differently. And it's beauty when one can really show how she is having her freedom. Back home, I feel very strong. Even the government, people really respect me, my person. Because I don't border people. I just do what I want to do with a lot of respect. is totally different. The feeling with the people, the audience in front of you is totally medical. It heals you. And I thought that it was only me, but it's incredible. It's like my band is the thing. They are all excited to be on the stage and that's wonderful. Report there by Paige Reynolds. You're listening to Convict Corner. Designer Ola Calwalco and artist Adrian Martinez Mari were already a couple when they decided to start a fashion brand together. But it took them a little while to get to the aesthetics and the working methods that underpinned their label. Accidentes con flores. Having left Belgium behind, they moved to Ibiza first and Mallorca later and discovered a slower pace for both their life and their jobs. Here, they've made a point of collaborating with the many artisans that still inhabit the island, letting both material and craft dictate their designs. The result is a series of relationships that are respectful and mutually enriching and garments that truly represent the essence of the Balearics. Confect's deputy editor, Chiara Romella, reports. We met in Belgium. Well, I was studying fashion. I was just working in my art. 
practice and uh, we met because of friends in common. We made our first encounter with textile and my artworks, building pieces for the Olas collection for the school. This was the really, really beginning. After a while, we decided to keep going with that and slowly became this project called Accidente con Flores. After that, you obviously relocated from Antwerp, first to Ibiza and then to Mallorca. How come you decided to go to Ibiza in the first place? And then after that, why make the jump further to Mallorca? So after seven years living in Antwerp, we were a bit tired of the city and of the weather. And we really needed to move somewhere. But Ibiza wasn't the first choice. We actually were trying to find a place. So we were thinking to move to Italy first, after Portugal, <laughs> after a few other countries. And I think out of desperation, we chose Ibiza because Adri is from Ibiza. So we thought like, okay, let's go to Ibiza. We can have easier start living with his parents at the beginning. So it was like spontaneous decision. We were like not thinking that we will stay there. And after three years living on Ibiza, we decided to move on Mallorca. And uh, yeah, now... We are here. Was there also a consideration around where you could support your brand best? Is Mallorca the best place where a brand like yours can operate? For us, yes. Yeah, For us, at the yes. beginning, we didn't know really the possibilities of the place. So we kind of discover the scruff that we are now really focused on being living in these places. So we start to discover all of this craft living here. After moving to Mallorca, we even discover even more. So, yeah. Tell us a bit about the artisans that you work with. First of all, what is the principle of the brand? What is the idea behind the kind of things that you do and how you make them? And who do you work with? For us, the important aspect is the community and support of the community. So it's also important for us to have like values behind what we are doing. We found that what is giving us happiness and bringing value to our brand is support of local crafts and local people and local community. And uh, here is islands are really rich on this craftsmanship. So we, we have plenty of people who is working for us or collaborating with us. Right now we have like textile factories that we just use the textile, ceramics that we do the pieces uh, together. Just we design and asking and proposing and they are doing for us. We have fan weavers. This is really important. We have like few um, artisans working with the pan and doing baskets for us. The wool here is consider waste. So we have a project called La Natura that is producing felt for our best, for racks that we start to do now. After we have uh, ladies who are knitting for us, embroideries. How does your creation of the pieces come together? What comes first, the design, the material? How does a piece come to life? It's a tricky question. I would say that it's a long process. I think we already develop our own language. It's much easier to design our pieces now based on the previous pieces that we have done. Now discovering the crafts that are available here on the island, we are also getting a lot of inspirations from what is available here. 
we just see what kind of materials are available here, like uh, textiles or palm or wool, wool, and we think what we can make out of it in uh, the best way. What kind of role does a brand like yours play in making sure that these crafts can survive? Can the artisans survive on their own? Or is there a need of something that ties them all together and brings a sense of community also to the artisans around the island? I guess it's helping both. It's them helping us, us helping them, and like that, building this community that Ola is saying. They are bringing to us this old way of working, and we are giving them this new vision of young, more contemporary. More contemporary. This, I guess, is the perfect combination and making us happy to keep going. You also have a side project which is called How They Work, and the idea of this is really to create a network for people to discover artisans. How was the idea for that born? How are you making it happen? And what do you hope that it will bring for these artisans? Once we started to discover a lot of artisans on the island, we realized that there is not existing any platform where someone can get a contact or find them. So we decided that we are going to do it. And it took us a lot of effort and time because it's a non-profit project. We believe it will be a useful guide for everyone who is interested in the craft and uh, it will help to create the new relationships and it will also support the artisans. Another thing that I think is really interesting of your approach is that you don't always just go to the artisans saying, okay, make me this. There is a lot of freedom mm. in the approach that you have with these artisans. You give them maybe a wide direction and then they take it and interpret it their own way. Why do you think it's important to leave freedom mm -hmm. for these artisans as well. In our case, we always start with a little drawing or with one idea and uh, we leave free interpretation to the artisan. We believe that the result is always better when you are letting people to be creative. And also, I think they have a lot of knowledge which we don't have. We can benefit much more. A report there by Confex Deputy Editor Chiara Rimella. You're listening to Confex Corner. And finally, it's time for our final thought. Our fascination with water might be instinctive, but there's a scientific basis to its mood-boosting properties, as Istanbul-based writer Alexandra de Kramer found out. Like many Izmirians, every summer, my grandparents, parents and I would decamp to the town of Cheshme. It's where I learned how to swim and then windsurf and sail. We would dive in search of purple-shelled sea urchins. I learned how to read the Aegean waves, differentiating between the fun ones and those that could carry you out into the open sea. In many ways, it's this stretch of the coast that I call home. In the dry heat of the city, I find myself drawn to the water. But ultimately, it's those waves, white rocks and sulfur springs that revitalize my sense of belonging. In his book Blue Mind, Californian marine biologist Wallace J. Nichols, who spent 20 years studying sea turtles, set out to discover the neurobiological explanation as to why humans are mesmerized by bodies of water and why they have an irresistible urge to return to them. 
For the sake of science, Nichols plunged into the ocean, wearing a swim cap plugged into an EEG scanning apparatus. His dive sampled real-time data from his cap at a rate of 256 times per second, showing which areas of his brain were being stimulated. His scan provided proof that immersing oneself in the ocean was a natural enhancer for neurotransmitters associated with feelings of calm, gratitude and compassion. Interacting with water increases levels of dopamine, known to enhance memory, movement and pleasure, serotonin, aka the happiness hormone, and oxytocin, referred to as the love hormone. There was also a significant reduction in cortisol, a steroid hormone that plays an important role in the body's response to stress. One of the 21st century's biggest breakthroughs in the field of neurology is the revelation that the brain is not fixed, but rather an ever-evolving organ, reorganizing and restructuring itself on a cellular level. It has the ability to remodel itself in accordance with the sensory information it gathers, a phenomenon known as neuroplasticity. The more defined neurological pathways, such as our habits, are formed depending on what we pay attention to. The person we believe we are is partly shaped by which neurotransmitter is fired up in our brain most frequently. But how does this apply to the human relationship with the sea? Well, as Nichols's Blue Mind theory suggests, our brain chemistry can be altered simply by watching waves crash into one another in the ocean. Whether you dip your feet in a creek or stand under a waterfall, when the brain makes contact with water, it automatically reaches a calmer meditative state. A stream of feel-good chemicals is released, elevating you into a higher connectivity with yourself, fellow humans and the planet. This helps you to form new good neural networks and is a simple way for you to consciously rewire your brain by allowing your mind to drift alongside water. Our world is a water world. Our bodies are 78% water-based. There is a reason why ancient cultures used water in their spiritual practices and as a tool for healing. For example, during the 15th century, the Ottoman Empire built shifahanes, which were mental health facilities that nurse patients back to health with water therapy and music. In today's world, where being busy is worn as a badge of honor and depression is a global problem, we need to call upon the healing powers of water. I see water as a kind of free medicine. Thankfully, Mine is a 15-minute walk from my house on the Strait of the Bosphorus. Istanbul is congested, loud, hyperactive, taking its toll on my nerves. But gazing upon the Bosphorus makes it all worth it. My all-time favorite water therapy is a ferry ride with a chorus of seagulls as background music. It drains all the modern city blues out of me. This summer, as you go for a swim, or gaze upon your favorite body of water, try to look at it from this refreshed perspective. 
and accept its gift of healing. That was the writer Alexandra de Crammer there, taking the word Sea of Tranquility into a much more literal sense. Marcella, we've spoken here in the show several times about your beloved Utakai, um, but what is it about water that really helps us relax in such a unique way? Yeah, first of all, Utoke is two minutes from my office, so that's probably the reason we are speaking so much about it. And the water there is just perfect, and many people go there. I think it's kind of water therapy for all the guests of Utoke. I think what makes it so special, the water here is kind of green, and if you're swimming and dipping your head under the water, then it's just all those emerald tones and looking up again, uh, you're looking in the sky and the sun and doing this like for 15-20 minutes, it's just like uh, the perfect therapy in the morning or after work and I think that's the reason why so many people go there and soak it in every day. I think that Alexandra's essay reminds you that you have this blue brain and that we connect with water in a way that's sort of spiritual and it is part of us and I wondered Gillian how do you sort of commune with water beyond even just a dip? Well I was fascinated by her piece because I think it was the um, the actual medical experiments and studies of the brain and how the brain works when it is experiencing water and I'd be very curious about similar experiments for waterfalls. There is something when you experience a waterfall, I was working on a film in Zimbabwe and one of the locations was Victoria Falls and on our day off we walked along a bridge into Zambia and then and all along almost a cliff so close to the waterfalls where you watch the water literally fall off a cliff and you feel it in your body you feel the thunder of a waterfall and you feel the mist and I would love to know what the brain is doing then and I think that would make extraordinary therapy to take people who are stressed along the edge of a waterfall to just experience that but that's sort of my kind of deep profound connection with water but what about you Sophie? Well I think Alexandra puts it really well in the sense that I think it is almost medicinal I feel that when I've spent a week near the sea like I just have next to the Atlantic waves and this amazing sense of the immense kind of beauty of the water but also the lagoons and the back bays just wallowing around I feel completely transformed and I think there is something that is incredibly important to me about being in the water. I can't just be looking at it by the side. <laughs> it's got to be submerged. And then I feel really quite just soothed. But it's kind of a bit of a moan in the sense that I feel like certainly in London, it feels like the exercise kind of water dimension is almost prioritised over just this idea of being in water. When you go down to the pool, people are ploughing up and down and doing these kind of underwater turns. And then the whole pool seems to be about this incredibly productive sort of workout water. But I'm more interested in kind of just swimming with my head out, <laughs> looking around and taking it all in. It's sort of that kind of exercise defeats the beautiful quality of buoyancy. And I think the buoyancy that you're talking about in water takes away the friction of life, doesn't it? And it's therapeutic. So in a way, you don't need to have velocity to really justify being there. You can just be swimming gently. It's just good to remind yourself that even a quick dip can really boost your mood and do all the things that Alexandra writes about. 
And that brings us to the end of this episode of Confect Corner. My thanks to Julian Tobias and Marcella Palak. Confect Corner is produced and edited by Carlotta Ribello and Christy O'Grady. This episode has editing assistance by Tamsin Howard and Callum McLean. If you have a story, suggestion or simply want to say hi, you can reach Carlotta at audio at confectmagazine.com. The summer edition of Confect Magazine is on shelves now. We'll be back next month with more. But until then, from me, Sophie Grove, goodbye, thanks for listening and enjoy your summer. Listener.